you so much, uh, Dominic, for uh, organizing this. Um, my name is Ravi Chaitanya. I am the co-founder and CEO of Centio VR. Uh, it's a meetings platform for the architecture and construction industry uh, using virtual reality. In this, um, in this presentation, there are a few things that I would uh, love to discuss in more detail. Uh, starting with our story, who we are, uh, how we got into this, um, where we are at today, um, in terms of uh, as a startup, what we have learned about the problems we are solving, especially in the architecture and construction industry, uh, how we came to know about the issues, the challenges that architects and, and people working in building uh, constructions are face, how VR is solving those problems. And I would love to sort of go into more real details of how things are getting done, what kind of VR experiences people are doing, how they are doing it, um, ideally show it to you in this presentation, where things have reached so far, what are the challenges around it still that have not yet been resolved, and what is the future looking like for VR in AEC? So, these are the five sort of broad topics in which I would like to go into details. Um, please feel free to write your questions whenever you find a particular topic interesting and I'm sure Dominic will pick it up and we can have those discussed. If not, the presentation should be around 40 to 45 minutes and then we can have detailed question and answers as well. So let's start. Let's start with us. Um, how did we get into this uh, fascinating world of virtual reality? Um, in 2015, I was looking at you know, startup ideas to work on with my friend and co-founder, Amit. Uh, I live in Santiago, Chile. He's living in Bangalore, India. And out of a side project, we buy an Oculus TK2 headset. It just completely blew our minds away. We really didn't feel that there was a technology similar to that. And we're talking about the TK2 with a lot of cables and installations, we managed to make it work. And we said, wow, this technology has a lot of potential. Why don't we figure out a way to build a business out of it? And that's how we started looking at ideas and pain points. I come from a background of product and business, love talking to people, understanding their problems. Amit is a computer science graduate from IIT. We both studied there together. Um, and we started this journey of talking to people, showing them what VR was capable of. Um, and we, we tried a bunch of ideas. We talked to retail, we talked to digital marketing, we talked about, um, uh, about uh, training with VR and architects and the world of 3D. And one of our initial prototypes was just the idea of putting a 3D model into VR, something like, like this, where we took an architect's 3D model um, who was really interested in look, getting it to work and got him to show his client how the future house would look like. So this is a simple sketch of model where his architect could put, the architect could put his client inside the model, uh, give him a feeling of how it would look like eventually before it, finally when it is built. And that is how we realize the power of this technology for a real problem in the world of construction. The problem um, in summary is when a project, when a construction project has not yet been built, um, how do you visualize it? 
typically when a construction project is in the design stage, um, architects start with an idea, get the owner's understanding, try to bring out that idea in a visual format through floor plans, through 3D models, through images. So if you go to buy a house which has not yet been built, you largely see images, PDFs, brochures, but they're not enough for people to really understand how it feels like. And that is a big problem because owners tend to realize these issues when the construction begins, it's already too late and it's very expensive to make changes there. Or buyers of homes, they realize that this is not what they had originally signed up for. And therefore this problem of um, architects having an imagination which allows them to visualize 3D models, but people who are not trained to read floor plans, not being able to see the same thing is a problem that we, we saw over and over again. So we saw architects coming and telling us, um, I can read the floor plan, but my client doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. And it's a big problem when the project goes into the construction phase. So our background of having done a prototype with a few architects, understood 3D, got into a VR prototype, helped us convert this potential problem into a solution that could be applied at scale. And that is how SentioVR.com was born. In 2017, we launched our platform uh, in a B2B SaaS model where we allowed people to come to a website, create a 14-day free trial, um, and a very simple way to upload their 3D content to our platform, a very simple way to get them to show, show it to clients on a VR, or if they do not have the headset using links. And this is the sort of summary of our solution. We get 3D to VR in a matter of a few clicks, and that allows people to show it to stakeholders in a project. And where do we stand today? Um, as a, this idea today is um, a full-fledged platform that has more than 16,000 users in more than 100 countries. As you can see, every year there has been a gradual but substantial in growth in terms of where we are at solving this problem. When we started with the days of Gear VR um, in 2017, um, then the integrations with the leading 3D modeling platforms like SketchUp and Revit, where most of the architects work, uh, virtual tours, which are basically panoramas, images that people can upload, create and share it with their clients, and um, the gradual improve with the headsets. The Go coming in 2018 was a major change in terms of uh, um, mobile VR becoming cheaper and better than the Quest last year and well, the Quest 2 this year. So just to give you guys an idea of uh, who we are, um, we started with this world of VR, try to find problems. We found this really difficult problem in the world of architecture and construction. And to solve it, we build a platform that gradually at scale is today helping architects and construction companies over the world uh, help their clients understand the projects. So um, I can, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the chat uh, button and Dominic, just let me know as well if there are any questions, please feel free to uh, bring them on into this conversation as I move from one section to the other. Yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to just uh, pop up, uh, unmute yourself and then ask, yeah. Fantastic. So now let's move on to um, 
the problems that we understood in AC. I, I just gave you a very brief insight into um, how we came to know about this problem, but to go into sort of more detail, um, typically an architect architecture workflow would include uh, creating floor plans, 3D models, and if you've seen these uh, typical real estate uh, brochures, they include these very high photorealistic images uh, and video that help you understand how the project is going to look like. So that's where we started our, our journey. Um, floor plans are very hard to interpret and photorealistic experiences are largely built from softwares that are um, that have a quite a long journey in the world of architectural visualization, but they do not have um, this cloud-based or sharing features. They're largely uh, built for people to create photorealistic images and then share it in a PDF or in a video or in an email to their clients. So the lowest hanging fruit or the, the, the easiest problem to solve here was to enable architects and designers to get these photorealistic experiences in an immersive fashion. What I mean by immersive fashion is um, how could you share it with your clients so that they could move around the space, they could look around in 360, move, um, uh, move look, look at the whole scene then move to another scene and not just have a look at one part of the space, which is very difficult for the mind to understand how the entire space would look like. So the problem number one that we solved was uh, enabling these softwares like V-Ray and Lumion um, that, that a, lot, a lot of these designers used, enabling those images, those formats to be um, valid, formats for architects to create immersive experiences and share it with clients. So what you're seeing here is a 360 experience that is largely exported from typical workflow softwares of the architecture and design industry. Then they can upload it to the platform of, uh, like Sentio. You can add hotspots, floor plans, all the typical experiences that uh, an owner or a stakeholder in the project would like to, to have. But you can do it by sharing a link Anybody can see it on a PC, on a mobile, and that is step one of immersion. So immersion is not always about getting people to wear a VR headset. They can do it uh, on the PC and mobile, and that is how we saw a huge amount of traction uh, in the early days coming to our platform because the key here was um, there is a certain workflow that the industry uses. Can we get um, that workflow integrated into the VR? Uh, workflow. And uh, if you remember, the early days of VR was a lot about the Google Cardboard. Uh, and it still is. Uh, the, the, there are a lot of small and medium businesses or freelancers whose first experience continues to be the Google Cardboard. So what we did in the early days was make it very, very easy for um, people working on uh, design software like Lumion or V-Ray to upload those that content. Um, get it into uh, an immersive 360 virtual tour, share it with their clients, and have the uh, enter VR button that would allow them to do it over a cardboard uh, or these um, sort of e economic uh, headsets that a lot of people wanted to try before they actually bought a VR headset. Um, in our experience, this was the entry point of a lot of people into VR in the architecture and construction industry. This is a photorealistic experience. So you see how 
the images are really final uh, in terms of their look and feel, materials, textures, and lighting. Um, so number one problem was, uh, rather than looking at a floor plan, can I see at an immersive experience? And that is how we solved it. From there, we moved on to the same problem, but um, just changing the level of immersion here. What I mean by that is, um, it is while it is okay to, un to look at a 360 space on a flat screen, and it does give you a, a better understanding of the space, it's a whole different um, experience if you look at it in 360. So a lot of the architecture and design firms uh, started exploring this path, where they said, okay, can, now that I've got my content uh, in, in 360, uh, how do I get my client to actually feel present inside that space? So that when he puts the headset on, he can understand how um, high this, the ceilings are, how wide this room is, and it's a whole different understanding of the space. So, here I'm going to like show you a recording of how um, this is obviously me putting the same experience, but looking at it on a VR headset. So as you can see, you can feel how tall this building is. You can have an understanding of how it would actually feel being in front of this building. And then you can explore the other areas of the same project. Uh, for example, here I'm inside the living and I have a really good feeling of how this living would feel like whenever it is built. This is a 3D model, but I'm right inside it. And I can give the feedback to my um, architect or designer what I um, feel about this. And we've, we've seen a lot of our customers coming back and telling us just by getting um, their clients into VR before anything was built. Um, the clients would come up with ideas that that would have probably come up when the deconstruction had, had begins, and therefore it saves a huge amount of time and money by just adding a couple of um, steps to the presentation workflow, adding VR to the workflow, and making sure the clients have the same understanding as as you have of the problem. So. Uh, the way uh, the way this workflow works is, and I'm going to just have a few things open here so that, so that the audience can understand better. The way this workflow works is is simply um, you know adding these 360 panoramas, dragging and dropping them here, and creating the whole experience from the platform. And the 360 panoramas themselves can be created from a whole range of um, softwares that the industry already uses like Lumion, V-Ray, 3ds Max, Corona, um, so that there is there is no need to create a whole new workflow here, um, which is where in a lot of the problems with adoption of technologies lie. Uh, people are trying to get add, add a new technology but not change the whole workflow. So this is the initial sort of experience that we had with uh, with the world of architecture and design where largely the need was um, how do i get my client to have a real experience a photorealistic experience from the existing software that we use um, so that they can have the same understanding as we do now 
while these two um, problems were, you know, our initial entry into the world of architecture, we realized that that was not the only um, important problem in the industry that VR could solve. On the contrary, um, a lot of these images are built after a lot of time is spent in creating 3D models, very detailed models in softwares like SketchUp or Revit, um, where a lot of work, person hours goes into creating um, a detailed design that is not just for the client, but also for the entire project uh, over the life cycle of the project. And it's very crucial to make sure that this 3D model is um, understood and by all the stakeholders. So while this process is going on, there's a need to get people to understand um, the details around these 3D models. And again, we, were, we realized that the problems were very similar in this situation. A lot of the architecture firms or design firms that work on SketchUp or Revit models um, did not have a very simple way of getting their clients to see it or to understand it. Uh, just sharing your uh, PC screen and moving around the SketchUp or the 3D model on a flat screen is not enough for a lot of people to really get an understanding of it and give you real feedback as to what they would change around it. And, uh, and we figured out uh, that this was an important problem to solve in addition to the problem of photorealistic images. And the way we, um, uh, the, the way we, we went around solving a problem is by making, again, a very direct integration into the workflow of um, these firms. What do I mean by that is, for example, for uh, the SketchUp users, there is a whole, uh, whole list of extensions that, uh, that the architecture firms can download, that these are sort of additions to what SketchUp offers. So we created a plugin that would sit on top of their SketchUp interface. Uh, think of it like um, extensions on the Google Chrome browser which sort of extends the functionality of the browser. So what that would do is, here's this interface of SketchUp where most of the 3D models are done. What it enabled uh, users to do is log in with their same account, upload the models to the cloud, and behind the scenes, uh, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done to export these models, the geometry, the materials, the textures around it, um, and convert them into a VR experience. Um, the challenges around this uh, requirement is models could be huge. Materials and textures could be very difficult to capture, could be in a lot of different formats. And then um, VR headsets have evolved and therefore with each evolution, you have one can see that you can do more with the 3D models, but there are limitations that you hit um, because of the rendering capacities of the VR headsets. So this has been a, a one of the most interesting problems to work on in the architecture and construction industry, how to get these really detailed 3D models um, that people are working on and constantly updating, which is another interesting problem that can be. So if you download the model to your desktop and you upload it, that's a workflow that is very tedious for a lot of people. So the way we went around solving it is by making it really simple for people to work 
from their models, have a plugin that sits on top of that interface and upload the models every time they make a change to the cloud and then go into a VR headset, put on a six digit code and get into a walkthrough right away. To give you an idea of how long this can take, um, it could take less than 10 minutes for me to upload a model to the cloud, get into a VR meeting. And that is where the key lies. A lot of people were frustrated in the early days of VR that this process would take a long time. Not just a long time, the quality of the experience is something that people are really worried about. Am I going to see my whole geometry? Is it going to be missing some materials and textures? Um, so I'm going to just quickly run through how the experience uh, feels like on these important platforms, uh, just for you to have a hang of how the visual interface works on Revit and SketchUp. As you can see, the idea is very, very straightforward. Uh, there is three modeling software, which has a lot of, which has a, which has an uh, option to add extensions. That is where one of the extensions like Sentia sits on and you select the views and you select them, uh, enter into your login account, upload the model. It takes a few minutes to get the model to optimize and upload. And you get a six digit code, which when you then go to your VR headset and um, walk through your model. So I'm gonna go back to my presentation and connect to the problem again. So the problem is I have a model that I've designed um, and now I need to get stakeholders, not just clients, to review it so that we can take better decisions around the design of it. And as you can see, the alternatives of doing it are very, very traditional. People would either take their PCs uh, and just open the PC and try to move around a model. Sometimes that is very hard because these PCs are extremely um, um, heavy and, and they're not suitable for taking to meetings in different client offices or they would invite clients and try to get them to see it in a very big meeting with everybody around. And it's not been, it's the problem that has not really been solved very well. And VR just became a huge opportunity. So this um, video here is going to show you how this feels like inside VR. And then I'm going to actually put on a headset and show it to you um, in real time, how it would work or look like in a, in the oculus quest 2 so let me put here in so as you can see here this is not a photorealistic experience this is a simple raw 3d model it has basic geometry basic materials textures and lighting but it is really useful in the early stage of the design so that people can get a hang of what uh, is going to be built so here i'm actually moving in the 3d space what I'm doing is um, I'm going to pretty much any point in the model that I want to go. I do not have a limitation of moving from one view to the other. So you can look at the space from uh, any angle so that you can understand exactly how it would feel like. Um, the way of moving inside the model is, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's fascinating how that, like different people find it easy and hard with different ways. What I'm doing right now is teleporting. So I'm just um, pushing a, a laser, finding where the ground is and then moving to that point. Um, I could also select pre-selected views and move into the different parts of the model from that view. But as you can see what happened here is I just moved to a place where I didn't plan. So I then put 
the views again, I got back again. And these are the challenges people face. Moving inside VR uh, is not very intuitive, especially with uh, the controllers that VR headsets have. They're almost game-like controllers. And for a lot of clients and a lot of people who are not so tech savvy, they find that hard. So again, that is a huge challenge that people working in this, in this industry have had to solve. How do I make it really intuitive so that this amazing potential of getting into my 3D model, um, getting my client to move it, move around it as if it already exists, gets fulfilled. So now I'm going to show you actually uh, one of the models that um, that that I just actually saw that we're seeing here. I'm going to probably move around to one of our models and show you how the experience feels like. In fact, it's a very good opportunity to show you something that Oculus launched a couple of days ago, which is the ability to uh, cast what I'm seeing on an Oculus headset onto a browser. So this is something that uh, a lot of people, just imagine client presentations, you have one headset, seven or eight people, and then you can probably uh, give it to one person, but everybody else has to see what is happening inside VR. And um, so I'm going to just take a small risk here in trying to get this to work in a live meeting. If you don't get it, I can still move on with the presentation. But this is something that I think is going to help a lot for people who are uh, not so familiar probably with the interface of um, Oculus uh, yet. So the way this would work is um, there's a casting option that has always been there, but it didn't allow casting previously onto um, a browser link, but now you can see that if it loads correctly, you're seeing um, you're seeing my headset view right now. Um, so I'm casting my view and I'm going to go to our Sentio app. Um, for people who are not familiar, um, the, the Quest Store has a limited set of apps and there are a lot of apps that you can install with the side quest. That is how our customers get um, our application on the Quest platform. And uh, as I was mentioning before, you can have these six-digit codes, which are unique for uh, each customer or each user to get into your account and then show it to your uh, clients. So just to give you an insight of how easy it has become to, to get your model into VR, on one side you get in onto the cloud using a plugin, and on the other side you get into a, um, a VR meeting, and now you can cast it to a screen so that everybody has a very collaborative meeting. So here's a bunch of models that I have um, in my account. Uh, I'm going to just quickly open any one of them. Um, probably the one that I just shared in, in, the, in the demo and see how it looks, how it actually feels like for an architect uh, to be doing this in a real time meeting. So there we go. Um, this is a house, let's say that you know, we've been working on and the multiple stakeholders who need to understand how the design looks like. Um, once I upload it to the, any 3D to VR platform like Sentio, I can put my customer into the, um, into the model. Like once they put on the headset, they have a real feeling of how this feels. You can understand the height of this. You can get a feeling of um, how big it is, the space, and you can then navigate around it. And as I was mentioning, this is one of the biggest challenges in terms of um, 
navigating because I'm doing it using two controllers and they have in total um, eight buttons between them. So for people who are not familiar with this, this is what happens a lot in, in, um, in architecture and design use cases is they do not really know how to move around. That's some, that takes some education, some learning. And that's where a challenge lies for a lot of VR platforms like us to make it really intuitive. So here I am on the terrace. And as you can see, I'm doing the same thing that I showed you in the video uh, before. So I can move around, I can answer my uh, client's queries, other people can collaborate here with this meeting, and, and therefore we can take better design decisions because uh, we don't just have to look at a 2D representation of this space, but this is actually uh, as good as uh, it is built. Uh, as long as you know the model is, is complete and the design is done, everybody can take a more informed decision. Fantastic. So we got the Oculus casting uh, to work here, which is something that I've been trying over the last few days. Um, it's a really interesting, uh, interesting innovation in how people can share um, the experiences with others. So we talked about this problem um, of getting my design as an architect or as a construction company in front of others. Something interesting has been happening uh, as an evolution of this problem recently. Um, people are realizing the power of immersive meetings and how it helps them to take decisions. Um, and therefore, and the other, and the other interesting changes, uh, people are realizing that uh, it's not always easy to meet in person and do the same uh, workflow as before, especially because of the pandemic, there is a need to have virtual meetings. But the question is, can the virtual meetings be immersive? Uh, can I put on a headset in my, uh, in my space and can my, can, my, can my team member put on a headset in some other place, in some other office, and my client who's in another country, can they put on a headset and can all of us come together into a, a immersive virtual meeting? And this is something that, you know, we have seen a lot of this in, in VR um, promotions and marketing campaigns. And, and as you can see here on this, in this image, uh, there are like five people here, all represented via avatars, their names, and they are together reviewing the model, uh, what we were uh, seeing earlier as a single person casting it onto the screen. Now, uh, the potential benefits of this is huge. It's, it's almost like a Zoom, but in VR, where you, know, you can talk to people and you can actually navigate the space um, and take those decisions without even having to look at a flat screen. Uh, and this is something that we are seeing happening more and more. Uh, is this what every architecture and construction company is doing? No. Uh, this is a use case that requires certain familiarity and commitment to the immersive technology space. Uh, for example, imagine the number of headsets the companies need to have to get um, everybody to be in an immersive meeting. How many companies have made those commitments? Uh, I, could, I can think of a, a very small percentage doing that, but it is uh, something that has started to happen. The other challenge is, um, again, largely we have seen that VR was being used by 
probably one or two champions inside a company and then bringing it on to the others in a meeting so this is is a is an is a different use case where everybody has a vr headset of their own so the the new sort of immersive experience can be taken to another level for the architecture and construction industry. The technology already exists uh, where people can go in and review a model together and take design decisions. However, the challenges in this use case are some uh, largely of adoption, which is something that we're seeing uh, becoming less and less of a challenge of late. I'm going to talk about it a little further down the line about these problems. So quickly summarizing uh, you know the second part of my presentation what are the problems in architecture and engineering and construction um, can people go beyond floor plans they already did images videos but can they become more immersive through 360 tours we saw people doing it sharing links of virtual tours has become the norm in the pandemic to share a virtual tour of a, of a project rather than just images um, then the next step was can I get these um, virtual tours to from this from the web browser to the VR headset uh, and the Oculus Go, the the mobile VR headsets became a huge enabler in this in this uh, use case where a lot of architecture design firms were able to like get mobile VR headsets, panoramas, share it with their clients in meetings or in sales and marketing use cases and get people to understand the space, feel present and take decisions. That became uh, you know, pretty common. And then a lot of questions came around, okay, it's not just a finished final design, but I'm building a, a design with other designers, with architects, with owners. Can I get that 3D model with so much information, geometry, materials, textures? Um, sometimes these are files that have like multi, two or three giga, uh, of information, can I get them into VR so that you know we can take better design decisions um, and and to include all the stakeholders as early as possible, and that is where we saw this rise of this um, you know plugins sitting on top of modeling softwares, uploading the models to the cloud, then getting into a VR headset, taking into a meeting, showing it to clients. We ran into problems like I can see but then how do others see? And now we are seeing these innovations like testing from Oculus, which I just, show, just showed, um, that is solving a lot of this, uh, these problems. And then, um, you know, the ultimate experience that I would say is people um, coming together in a VR meeting, everybody having their own headset, wherever they are, um, getting into a 3D model, talking about it, taking design decisions. And this is something that has started to happen uh, with the adoption and with the technology becoming more and more accepted. I'm going to take a quick look at the chat section. I'm going to see if there are any questions right now before I move on to the next. Um, perfect. So, yeah, there Damon go. has a question. Yeah, Damon, do you want to um, unmute yourself? Sure, Damon. Sure. Yeah, I was just curious as to. Um, how you see yourself different from Iris VR, Insight VR, and some of those type of companies, and what would be your competitive advantage? Right. So um, you're right, Damon. So this is a use case which Iris, Insight, uh, the Wild. There are there are a few other companies that are in this use case. I think there are two very uh, clear differences from uh, the way we see it. One is um, the 
overall user experience. When I say user experience, you break down what needs to be done to get a model into VR and uh, the focus on plugins, the focus on standalone VR, just the number of steps needed for architects to get this going. I think if you break it down, you'll see that Sentio has a lot of focus on SMBs, which is a lot of user experience, very few steps. Um, uh, just to give you an idea, it would take probably eight to 10 minutes between the sign-up process and getting into VR on Sentio. I'm pretty sure that is not the case on enterprise VR focused um, other platforms that you mentioned. That is one difference. And, and the other difference I would say is um, uh, we are aware that VR is a huge uh, enabler in understanding spaces, but it has to work in com combination with the other platforms that our users use. For example, uh, the, the PC, the mobile. So being able to share links, you know, even though they are from panoramas, uh, we're planning to get 3D models onto the web as well. I think that those are two fundamental ways of, of solving the problem that we see uh, different from uh, others in this space. Getting VR to work in conjunction with, together with other platforms like the PC, the web, mobile, and, uh, and just the focus on user experience, keeping it very, very simple for the end user to get the job done rather than you know, a complicated list of steps which might work in the enterprise space where sort of you handhold customers um, but it's very difficult to make it work in an SMB space where people want like quick results. Does that answer your question, David? Um, a, a, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Perfect. Uh, awesome. So um, I'm going to move to, actually, that's, that was precisely what you know, I was going to uh, talk about in the next section. Uh, what are the challenges uh, in getting this problem solved? Um, and and that is where a lot of these answers lie. So what we have realized here is uh, people talk a lot about the benefits of VR and the marketing campaigns show, uh, you know, VR being used absolutely seamlessly. You know, nobody having absolutely any issues. Everything works perfect uh, in those videos. You know, you can see these multi-user VR meetings going on absolutely um, without any issues. And, and the reality is pretty far from it. You know, if you talk to people using VR, uh, if you talk to architecture, construction, or you know, even business owners who have invested in this technology, you learn that uh, there's a lot of difficulties in getting it to work. So imagine you know, a, a high-stake construction meeting or a real estate uh, meeting uh, where you know, there are people with very little time, and you're trying to get uh, you know, one or two people to see the VR experience while you're trying to get the whole meeting, other agendas done. So I've had conversations with architects saying, you know, some people don't want to put on the headset. They don't want to, um, you know, they don't feel comfortable. Or people might put on the headset, but they might press any kind of buttons on the controller and just go to some other application. Um, or uh, it's very hard for them to follow the, the walkthrough that the architect has set up. So I'm not even talking about the the earlier challenges of VR, which largely don't exist today because of the mobile or wireless VR uh, adoption. But you know, early days, PC-based Oculus, those setups, those installations, this was a really difficult. Um, there were a lot of challenges in getting them to use in the first place. So that's why the focus on user experience, making the technology work in the background, uh, and not being the focus of the whole scenario of the whole use case is an extremely difficult challenge and so multi so just talking about multi-user vr meetings 
you know, um, imagine a Zoom meeting where everybody was sharing their screen. And that's something that happens in a VR meeting. People might go to all different parts of the model and then you have to bring them together. So every platform is trying to solve this problem of user experience in their own way. Uh, but we at Sentio realize that this is probably the heart of the, of the whole use case. Uh, how do you make it extremely simple you know, for uh, um, a person who has a model or a 3D design that needs to be shared with multiple stakeholders and break it down into a lot of steps Having plugins that sit on top of these softwares is one way of doing it so that they don't have to download and upload it. Um, not having to clean up the models is another important part of it. You know, people don't like to spend time in cleaning up models for VR. They would like the model to load as it is, but that is something that a lot of platforms today uh, are not in a position to offer. Even uh, Sentio has its own limitations in being able to load really big models. So that is, you know, um, all of those factors come into the user experience, though I have to mention that with each new headset, uh, these problems are becoming less and less uh, difficult. So the Oculus Quest was an absolute um, game changer in, in, in driving the whole industry towards wireless standalone uh, headsets. And from there, we're only seeing things getting better. Which brings me to the second challenge, you know, we talk to people, why aren't you using VR? You give them demos and they let really, they understand the value proposition, but then, then you start breaking it down into the adoption, like how many headsets do I need? Um, they try, a lot of people that I'm talking to, like they have probably one or two headsets, but then if you want to take it to like 10 headsets, that's a significant investment for small and medium businesses. Um, even for enterprises, you know, uh, those kind of investments are, they take certain amount of time. So headset adoption is a, is another challenge that, the, that people working in, the, in this industry are facing. Now, um, it's all relative. I'm looking at the numbers at 2018 when you know we had this uh, Samsung Gear and Oculus Go and then 2019 with the Quest coming in in 2020 and we're talking about absolutely different numbers here. Uh, you know, just to give you guys an idea, probably less than 5% of our users would have a headset um, or even less than 3% of our users would have a headset when we started out. Those numbers have completely changed. So um, headset adoption, drop in prices, $299, the Oculus Quest 2 is, is, is a game changer in that sense, but there are no sort of, uh, there's no one moment that like seems like it's going to change everything. It looks like a gradual, adoption as more and more people see the value and the costs go down, you're going to see that uh, show up in the adoption. And then the third thing you're seeing is uh, believing. You know, people need to have these experiences and that is a huge challenge. Like I was just able to show you what I see inside VR, but that, has something, that is something that became possible. Um, you know, it, it's not been easy for software, or even for Oculus to get an easy way to share what you're seeing to others. So casting in that sense is difficult and getting people to share that experience, uh, especially if they don't have a VR headset, how do they get the first experience is, is, is a critical part of this piece. And, and you'll find in you know, a lot of uh, people having tried VR in the early days, for example, remembering those experiences and having a bias about like this technology has these limitations but you show them the new uh, sort of VR with the changes that have happened, the Oculus Quest coming in, and that's a completely different experience, but then you ha they have to see it to believe it. So in, in, in my understanding, you know, 
ease of use. It, this has largely been built by technologists, but getting people who are actually going to use it, their inputs into it, making it absolutely simple for them to get the job done, not focus on, on the headset itself, but actually on the job to be done. Um, prices going down, adoption going up, and then others trying it and, and seeing the value and not just sticking with the initial experiences. Those are things that you know this, this industry will require. Uh, and it's already happening for these challenges to go um, away one by one. So that brings me to uh, the last part of my presentation, which is uh, how does this this look like? Like where are things going for VR in AC? I think um, in the early days there were questions about um, what is the value of it. You know, the, the cost benefit analysis didn't look really. Um, promising to all the important players in this industry. And that's understandable because for every new technology, there's an adoption curve. And we were seeing early adopters really trying to get this to work, but a lot of people not happy with where things were. Um, I think we have gone past that period now with VR. I think we are talking about, um, we are, in our platform, you know, we see the traction coming in from not just the, the places where the headsets are available, but pretty much every region in the world. So, you know, whether it is India, uh, whether it is uh, Australia, New Zealand, whether it is Europe, of course, the US and Canada, all Latin American countries like uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil. Um, I myself am based out of Chile, and I can see a lot of VR being used in the construction industry in Chile. Um, so the, the, the phase of, you know, whether this is a technology that can add that, that that will you know play a significant role in this industry i think we have gone past that stage just looking at the amount of traction uh, and 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 people putting their money uh, into the technology as customers i think that that part looks like pretty much covered uh, the questions that are there is you know how is it going to be used um, how fast how many people are going to be doing it you know, this year, the next year, how does the picture look like in 2025? And and to be honest, uh, I think very few people know the answer. Um, the answer, I guess, that the trends that are largely pretty clear is the future is immersive. There is no question that, you know, understanding 3D spaces in VR uh, has very few alternatives that can provide that kind of an impact and value. So immersion is definitely part of the future. Uh, the future is wireless as well. I think in the beginning, there was quite a lot of debate about, you know, different platforms looking at investing into different kinds of uh, headsets. Uh, for example, you know, a lot of the uh, platforms that we mentioned earlier, uh, investing in the Oculus Rift ecosystem because they were the ones that could power these difficult, these heavy 3D models. I think it has become largely clear that the future is wireless with the Oculus Quest becoming the headset everybody is trying to make the the experience work on and the third aspect of it is um, it's not just about one or two people at the at companies having the headset and having the experience and showing it to others this is about collaboration um, i think the collaboration is probably the buzzword anyways in the construction industry where there are so many stakeholders who have to come together and take decisions so anybody working in this space has to think about how the hardware and the software can be used so that multiple people, whether they are in person, in a meeting together, whether they are distributed over different places, how can they 
use uh, this technology and take the decisions that they have to using the immersion uh, capabilities that it offers. So in summary, um, you know, the future of VR and AEC, in my opinion, is, is absolutely uh, uh, bright, where, you know, there's a lot of people from the industry who have changed their opinion, who have committed to this technology and continues to happen at a faster scale than before, for reasons that I talked about earlier. Um, how fast, how many people, just to give you an idea of scale, probably 18 million professionals work in the AEC industry, we're certainly not seeing even uh, one million of them trying VR right now. So we're very early stages in, term, in terms of adoption, uh, but that is something that is going to change as, as uh, the software and hardware keeps improving. So with that, I see that this meeting, this presentation is already around um, uh, 45 minutes, which is more or less what I had planned for. This is, um, uh, this is, the content that I would have, you know, I just wanted to share with all of you uh, our experience. This is the time I would love to open up the conversation. I want to see what are the conversations in the chats that have been given, and uh, and discuss with all the people present here whatever questions they have. Open up this conversation and love to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. Any questions uh, related to um, like the, um, you want to ask? Um, Ravi, feel free to ask. Uh, yeah, Ravi, can I ask you one question? Sure. Yeah, um, right now uh, we, we use like Oculus 2 and uh, I remember few few weeks ago when I use it, I think Facebook is trying to use hand gestures to replace the controller. So what will you do differently as for your UX UI to make, cause I know like for the, you know, the traditional controller, you pretty much shoot a ray and point it right. like different buttons. And the button looks, well, look like pretty much similar to, you know, the, the traditional UX UI, but it's just vertical and a little far away uh, and bigger. So what will you kind of adjust your UX uh, user experience uh, according to the different technology? Yeah. Right. So Dominic, that's a, that's a really uh, interesting question. So, um, you know, the controllers, one of our philosophies has been, you know, to, to sort of learn from the customers themselves, because, you know, we drive a lot of our decisions based on what's actually happening. And, and while this um, hand tracking is has been experimental now, it's it's part of the the overall uh, experience. It, it's still something that has not sort of caught up with our um, user base. So you know, because it, it, moving around a 3D model requires a lot of gestures, a lot of pointing, a lot of um, uh, teleporting. Uh, I think there's still a lot of reliance on the controllers. What we plan to do is. Um, uh, is to find out the early enthusiasts in the in the um, in the user base that we have who are you know figuring out this this challenge of experience inside the model and work with them in order to get the the experience right it is something that we did on the controller side as well so you know just to give you an idea we had a lot of feedback coming in from our users and customers saying you know the controllers need to have these are the functionalities we would like to have. We would like to be able to rotate the model. We would like to be able to 
teleport uh, in a more intuitive fashion is something that we just changed in the platform recently. So it, it's always iterative. I think the design experience here is, uh, what I can tell you is that the key here is to not build things based on how you, know, you would do or others are doing. It's just to include with people, the users all the time into the decision making around it. And at this point, uh, I don't see that being sort of the primary concern because people are largely trying to figure out the controller and get the, the, the experience going. But it's something that we're going to take up uh, you know, as we get more people talking about it and asking for it and, and trying to figure it out. Yeah, cool. Thank you. And then I think Damon has other questions. Damon, do you want to unmute yourself? Yeah, um, thanks. So uh, great, great presentation. Thanks for sharing. So uh, I had a, a question. You're pulling in this data from Revit, uh, <clears throat> and maybe I missed it in what you showed. Are you able to also access the metadata of the objects within the scene, or are you just doing the visualization component? Right. So, uh, so to to answer that question, in in the early, in this stage of our product, um, we have consciously tried to get the visualization uh, absolutely accurate. What I mean by that is, you know, geometry, materials, textures, uh, get that, uh, get that spot on. And our focus has been on visualization largely because our use case has been about um, client presentations. Uh, we are very aware that, you know, as we go deeper into this use case, the metadata becomes a really important part of the overall uh, needs of the industry. Um, so. It, about having that, not just the geometry information, but also the, the other information associated with it. And we have plans to get it out into our platform so that you know it's, it's something that, that we have planned for our future versions, but we definitely think that is something that, that we want to take up once you know the visualization aspect of it, which is why largely most people have signed up for our platform is absolutely uh, spot on. So as a follow-up to that, you would say then uh, a bulk of your users uh, are using your stuff for visualization, not necessarily accessing the metadata for construction solutions, RFPs, RFIs, that kind of thing? Yes, you're right, uh, Damon. So what is happening uh, a lot is, I mean, I think clearly here, the, 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 the primary pain point has been uh, for people to get their customers and clients into the experience. I think that has been largely the driver behind people trying VR. Um, as then how they do it the, and become more familiar with it, we are aware that people are also trying to get this for uh, decision-making and therefore they need access to the information that is in the original file, in the Revit file, for example. And, and it's something that we have um, uh, put it as, as an important part of our 2021 roadmap. Uh, but I would, I would largely agree with what you summarized, uh, that people uh, in the architecture and design space especially are trying to get their clients into VR and even and just to get that experience right, I think it would be, it, it, it's a pretty challenging task, it's, it's a high value task, and then follow it up with other sort of adjacent use cases like the one you just mentioned of getting the information uh, and decision-making around it. Thank you. So yeah. in the chat, uh, Dominic, I can see uh, I can see a couple of uh, points from Damon. Uh, perfect. Okay. So 
Uh, yes, Damon, I'm aware, you know, you mentioned about like the file sizes of the of the large file sizes. You're right. There's, there has been a, a pretty solid advancement in this space, I think, from a couple of platforms, especially. Um, I think what we'll have to be, um, you know, I think what, a couple of things here is that, that, that are very important is uh, when I talk about user experience, it's not just about like the file size and clean the file size. I think uh, the key here lies in breaking down the steps beyond the marketing videos of what actually needs to be done to get a model into VR. And then how does that experience work out in front of clients? And I think not just Sentio, I think pretty much all platforms have a lot of work to do in that space. Yeah. Uh, so, so what file size can, uh, can we upload to uh, Cinto, Cinto VR. It's a it's a it's a question we get really often, Dominic. So uh, the answer is there is no one number that you know one would provide. The reason is that uh, typically it doesn't depend on the exact file size. It depends on a lot of factors that the file has, like so the amount of geometry it has, the number of materials, texture, images that it has, uh, and therefore we have we we see some. Uh, sort of ballpark numbers in terms of millions of polygons there, you know, we see that, you know, the, the export process might face some challenges or the limitations of the headset. But um, I wouldn't, you know, put a number to it and say, okay, this, this is the file size uh, on which things fail. I think it's more about the combination of the uh, number of polygons, um, the materials and texture images that the files have, which make the process work or not work. Yeah, uh, the reason why I, well, uh, like I, I, I'm caring about uh, this mm. types of question is because before I did some uh, Spark AR uh, and then Studio, which is uh, more like a AR for social media. So as far as I know that, I don't know whether the number is changed or not, but Ethwell, their upload size is 100 MB, which, because I am not specialized in 3D, so, and then right. I know that they have a limitation of some certain numbers of polygons. So I have to reduce it. And some of my friends, they are the expert of uh, 3D. So mm. they can make sure the every, like they can create a really amazing environment with like the lowest file size. So those people or those artists or experts can create amazing art while like amateur like like me like 3d amateurs i probably need to change the platform or do something else about uh, the the setting because i know like 3d means a lot for um, vr or ar experience and then as for spark ar uh which is face uh you you upload to spark ar studio and then you can export mm. to instagram and uh, facebook ar and those, they, I think they have less restriction for uh, the 3D file size. So that's why I keep working on that. Just because I, mm. I couldn't make like such as, I think it's 4 MB or 6 MB just for uh, Lens mm. Studio. So it means that if you want to create an amazing mm. scene in uh, Snapchat, you probably need to be super specialized in texturing and uh, or modeling right. to reduce the, the size of the file. So that's why I think if um, the size, the, the file size can be bigger, 
and then mm. the latency or something can kind of like you know like less restriction maybe more amateur people like me in 3d can kind of uh put upload more stuff there without like oh like trying to google it how to reduce the texture size yeah Absolutely. I think this has been, uh, um, you know, just to give you some numbers, typically, you know, when we see the models being uploaded on our platform, um, we've had more than 30,000 walkthroughs now, so uploaded, so we have some data around it. And, and, and it could range from something around uh, a simple 50 mega MB file or 100 MB file to up to one and a half GB or two GB. You know, so that some Revit files are that huge uh, or, or even more than that. So what what that means is there's a certain number of polygon count that that's getting uploaded. We have been able to get, you know, up to millions of polygons. I would say up to four or five millions of polygons work on, on Sentius. So that, that would probably traduce, uh, translate into a file size of one GB probably going through. There have been cases where, you know, it's very hard to give exactly what would and wouldn't, but that just gives you sort of a ballpark as to where, you know, you could export a, a model with, uh, um, 14 or 15 million polygons uh, and still get it through on our platform and into the VR headset. Obviously, you know, these kind of, uh, there's a lot of technical details involved here in terms of, you know, what else is there in the files apart from the polygons, but that gives you an idea that, you know, we're not talking about 100 MB or 150 MB or just a few hundred thousand polygons. I think you're talking about millions of polygons going through and being able to render on the Oculus Quest platform. Uh, that is something that is happening. I think every every platform is working on this problem. Uh, this is probably one of the biggest engineering challenges right now, with, which, which some might have made more progress compared to the others. But I think everybody is more or less at a point where millions of polygons are getting rendered on the VR headset. Yeah, and then, yeah, I think Damon has a question, like what are the recommended file size polygon count for uh, your platform? Yes, Damon. So as I said, you know, I think uh, I think right now it would be safe to say anything between uh, anything beyond twenty million polygons is, is a really difficult one to upload and get it right. But below that, I've seen success cases depending on um, you know other types of uh, images and material files into that polygon into that uh, into that file. But in my opinion. Uh, 10 to 15 million polygons is, is probably the high end. Just to give you an idea, um, less than 10% of the models that are uploaded uh, actually have problems of polygon count today. So I think, you know, in terms of uh, ballpark numbers, more than 90%, which are typically in the range of either 500,000 polygons to probably uh, a few million polygons is what we typically get from architecture and construction firms uploading. And that's something that you're largely able to work on. But it's something that, you know, we want to also keep improving and keep raising that bar. Just a good point here would be the Quest 2 enables you to actually raise that bar is something that we're working on right now. So you'll see us, uh, you know, sharing more and more uh, good news about what can be done in terms of the file size. It's becoming less and less of a limitation as the hardware has improved. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so any other questions related to... Oh. Do you support IFC? Uh, not yet, uh, Damon. So to be, uh, uh, our focus here has been largely on getting the SketchUp and Revit workflow work. We've got a lot of traction there. We see a lot of challenges there and we're trying to get that 
uh, write and then move on to the other file formats. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, as far as I know that Spark AR, they kind of have a library, collaborate with Sketchfab. So yeah, so for example, like a lot of artists, they find out that it's so easy to create AR experience because they can just open it and click the AR, uh, you know, like a lot of assets because not many people are specializing in 3D right now. So for me, I'm like my background is graphic design, UX, UM, or flat mm -hmm. 2D. So that's why I usually click the asset and kind of uh, put in and start composing. So I'm wondering, do you have any, like, for example, like partner with some um, assets, you know, companies, so people can just drag and drop? So uh, I think, um Again, if you look at the SketchUp and Revit in, uh, integrations, those are those are direct integrations. Those are what would you call like partnerships in a way because it sits on top of the Autodesk and SketchUp store. So um, if you, if you Google like virtual reality in in those stores, you'll not see a lot of platforms. There are probably two or three there that are trying to solve this problem directly through that, those platforms. But when it comes to materials and uh, and asset libraries. I think we're not trying to solve that problem, Dominic. What we're trying to solve, is, we're not trying to solve the content. How do I get more content? And I think there are a lot of people already on that problem. Uh, the problem that we're trying to solve is, you know, if you have that content, how easy is it for you to get uh, that across to multiple stakeholders, share it, uh, not just in VR, beyond VR, uh, multiple changes you might make, how do you get that across uh, in-person meetings, in immersive meetings. And I think that there are really unsolved challenges around that use case, um, which is where we would like to sort of play a very important role. I see. Yeah, and then Damon, do you wanna unmute yourself and ask another questions you have on chat? Uh, yeah, sure, sorry sorry to uh, be asking so many questions, but this is a- uh, Absolutely, go ahead, Damon. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it, don't worry. So, um, so, so I'm curious as to if you currently support any uh, scan data, right? So are you able to take things in from like Faro, uh, Leica, yeah. that kind of thing, right? So any reality capture data, and then kind of as a uh, part two of that, are you also yeah. including any geospatial 3D data from Esri Tools, ArcGIS, that kind of thing? Right. So, um, uh, as I said, uh, Damon, you know, the, the, uh, the, we've experimented with point, point cloud data uh, a bit. Uh, we haven't got into that use case um, uh, too much because uh, what we're trying to do, Damon, here is get the 3D modeling pipeline really solid with the existing integrations we have and then sort of plug in this uh, additional data formats. You mentioned about IFC, you mentioned about um, the, the geospatial data. It's, it, those are plans that we have, you know, going forward, but I would, you know, pretty much, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure right now, this is not what we are focusing on, but something you'll see more and more coming out from us going forward. Interestingly about, you know, the, the what I'm seeing a lot happening on the platform, because we have the 362s integration, I'm seeing a lot of construction companies actually capturing 360 photos of their, um, uh, of their projects and uploading it and creating sort of these uh, walkthroughs of uh, uh, so that they can track the construction progress. It's, it's not a direct use case, but it's something that's happening uh, a lot, lot more recently. So we are seeing that happening, but that is obviously not point cloud or, um, you know, these professional capturing uh, softwares. This is just 360 cameras. 
trying to get you know the, the construction progress up on the platform and, and sharing with the stakeholders. And that, that is something that we're seeing. But regarding these specific formats, Damon, I think these are um, all sort of into our product development. Uh, yes, absolutely. So a lot of that structural side and hollow builder uh, use case that you're seeing there uh, is happening uh, on our platform as well. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? Um, yeah. If you have any question, feel free to unmute yourself and ask directly to Revi. Hi, Ravi. It's Lucy. I have a very general question because I really don't have any background in this and um, it's really informative what you just presented and uh, I guess all the, the technical terms and stuff, it's a little bit too deep for me. Um, but uh, I think it's really great. I definitely look into that. Um, so my question is that when you talk about um, adding this, like adapting the VR aspect into the construction industry and field um you you mentioned this term you said people sometimes would resist in cleaning the, the file for uh cleaning the 3d model file for mm. the vr headset so i i wonder can you give more details like so from it, it, in the, the traditional way and moving toward right now like the more advanced vr um technology right now has it been adding a lot of time i mean adding more time for the designers to create the vr adapted 3d model like has it really at quite so much time that people really resist uh, resist it so much right now like where are we right now Stage. We are in a much better place than we were a year ago, uh, Lucy, on that. You know, a yeah. year ago, I think there were a lot of restrictions and we, we really spent a lot of time actually trying to help customers or users get their models ready for VR. It's, it's happening a lot less, but it, it's something that is, it, it, there is always going to be a sort of limit in terms of, you know, what you can and cannot do. And so we always find a percentage of users uploading content that is hard to support on the, on the mobile VR or the standalone VR headsets. That percentage is going, um, uh, that getting lower and lower, but it's something that nobody wants to do. So I see there are two challenges here. One is just the sheer file sizes, which, uh, you know, I think is, is going to be less and less of a challenge as the headsets have gone better and the software is also sort of becoming more mature. Mm -hmm. And the other is, um, it's something that I've seen a lot of architects and designers especially, you know, talk about is getting those photorealistic experiences in VR is, is something that all of them really want. But the way to do it today is largely by, you know, um, getting them in, in, in a more images format, right? Like so what I showed earlier, photorealistic images. So you still don't have this 3D photorealistic experience happening uh, for a lot of uh, sales marketing and, 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 and even client presentation use cases. So I think that's a big gap that exists. So it's one is the file size, just you know, sheer, imagine an airport getting uploaded to a VR headset, that's huge. And the other is, you know, um, photorealism, you know, getting materials, textures, lighting, all that information in VR. I think those are two sort of technical challenges that people are um, looking for VR developers to solve. The first is, is largely, you know, in a, in a position where I think it should not be a problem, let's say six months from now or two months from now, I think we're going to talk less and less about it. 
the other one i think is going to take more time okay thank you so much for sharing that and also one more question i'm just very curious about this so do you see any um someone or any uh, platform that possibly would allow like mutual like work platform for the vr model sharing like a cult collab so, platform yeah I, I see what you're saying i think i think um, a lot of what uh, just close my uh, yeah so yeah i think i think that is something where all of them uh, all of us are getting towards so you know it, it depends a lot on um, as I, as I mentioned on the availability of the headsets. So for like 10 people in a team to work together, they need to have headsets. That's, that's a challenge right now, but we're seeing companies making that commitment and, and with collaboration being pretty much a standard feature on all VR platforms. Um, the software I think is much more ready. Uh, the hardware is ready. I think it's about more people buying in and trying it out and seeing the value of it. Um, we're seeing a lot of sort of marketing and promotion around it, but in my opinion, VR is still being used by, you know, one or two people inside a company or trying to promote it in in-person meetings. I think that's going to change, but that's how it's being used largely uh, today. You know, people familiar with the headsets, you know, they're taking it to meetings, showing it to others. Um, but whether people will, uh, you know, do these meetings from wherever they are collaboratively, um, absolutely, it, it started to happen. Uh, and with the integrations getting better with the existing workflow, which is, I guess, a lot of really important part of this piece. It's, it's going to be a lot more easier for people to integrate VR seamlessly into their workflow and not have this sort of separate VR meeting and then go back to work, which is what a lot of people are facing today. I think that's, that's something that's going to happen. For example, you know, when you put on, um, um, you know, I've, I've tried this with a few customers. They really see the possibility of uh, getting the whole team in a VR meeting and sorting out the problems faster at work. Um, but once they try it, once everybody has a headset, and those are the challenges we are facing, Lucy, here. I see. Thank you so much. No worries. Uh, any other questions? Um, feel free to ask uh, Revy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Quick, quick question. Yeah, yeah okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, so Ravi, uh, when you're dealing with sensitive data, right? Say I'm building a hospital or more importantly, nuclear power plant, government facility. How do you secure um, the access to that information, right? What, what, what additional precautions do you take for security when storing and then giving access to view that super sensitive building information? Right, that's, that's a really important question I, I think uh, Damon I see that you've you know, mentioned about construction industry and, and working in that it's something that a lot of customers really deeply care about right like when they upload models they want to make sure that their NDAs are taken care of and and we, we've been aware of this from day one so what we have done I mean I think it, on the technical side of things the engineering team has uh, uh, you know a set of implementations that sort of ensure that we, our data is secure. And I, I don't think like, I'm the person to be talking about how exactly technically it's set up. But I think on the more sort of user front, um, what we have done is um, uh, make sure, you know, that, that, that there are password protected meetings, uh, that it's not easy for people to sort of just uh, get into meetings of others. It, it hasn't been happening. The files have not been 
you know, we, have, we haven't had for four years any cases of people saying, you know, our files have been, uh, for some reason, you know, been accessible to others. So it's something that we've built in the way you, the use cases. We have a collaboration platform. So, you know, inviting members is something we would really well manage inside the platform. So you cannot, um, you know, so that people managing an account get, are very clear as to who others uh, have access to that data, with what privileges they have, they can remove people from uh, the accounts if, if that is something that they feel is compromised. So, and we at Sentio ourselves, we we do not um, share any kind of, uh, you know, whether it's in our marketing or whether it's in our uh, communications, we do not share any access, any content at all from our customers' data. So I think those are high level precautions in just in terms of user facing um, decisions that we take. And on the technical side, I think, you know, it's, it's a more sort of a engineering uh, solutions that, you know, that we take on term to make sure that data is protected. We use the standard engineering solutions around it. I I'm, don't think I'm the person to give you the exact details around it, but it's something that we are very aware of, uh, David. It's a big issue. Cool, thanks. And then, and then I guess my last uh, question for now is um, bi-directional, right? I, I noticed that a lot of folks want to be able to bring mm -hmm the data out of Revit or something like that. But then the idea is that we're in this design review. I, you know, I'm the client, I wanna make these changes. How are you pushing that data back into Revit or the model? Do you have the bi-directional or are you just doing build it in Revit, push out, say what you wanna change, and then the person has to go back in, build it, push it back out to VR and that kind of thing. What's, what's the process and how are you handling that? So that, that that is something that is uh, that is the that is the goal I would say. I mean, I think I think that the idea here right now what we're doing is you know you've got the content, um, you, you you get it as it is into a meeting and then you show it in a meeting. But then you're right, like people might have feedback and you want to change it, um, uh, and then uh, today the software at least Sentio is not in uh, right now solving that problem. But that is something that is uh, I think going to be um, you know, pretty standard in all software solving this problem going forward. I think technically those are all feasible. Uh, uh, those are all feasible uh, solutions. Uh, what we are sort of trying to do, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Damon, is um, the the whole sort of job to be done. First of all, is you know, I have a model. I get into the VR and can I show it and take those decisions right? I think that just that, just focusing on that and getting bits and pieces of that right is something that we are focused on first. Um, we're pretty close to that. I think our traction and, and our sort of adoption talks about it. And then go into these, these are all concerns, feedback issues that we have been getting from our customers. Uh, we are, uh, you know, with our engineering team, uh, picking them up, putting into the software. But this particular point is something that I, I think is going to show up in 2021 in most softwares working on this, including ours. Thank you. Yeah, any other questions? Mm, yeah, okay. So thank you, uh, Ravi, for being today's guest. And then, yeah, and then um, I will see you all uh, next Saturday. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dominic, for organizing this, for inviting me and everybody who participated. Really appreciate your questions and hopefully you've had some, got some value out of this presentation. Have a yeah. good Saturday. Yeah.
Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Bye.